Welcome to the Good Day Sir podcast. John Santiago and Jeremy Ross coming to you live from the Good Day Sir studios in the foot of the $5 billion mile here in Frisco, Texas. How are you doing today? <laughs> uh, <laughs> How's the Oh, that was completely unscripted. Right off the top of my head. Zero planning. I didn't know that intro was even going to be there. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Works, doesn't Man, it? Man, that is the extent of my broadcasting skills. Thank you. We're done. It's been a good week. Call good it episode. a day. Are we actually recording? We are recording. That oh, was, so that, that that was that, the intro. Yeah, it's, I created a template in Audition for us, and I left the, um, the, the intro in there. Oh. And when I hit record, it we're hearing or what's it called when you're tracking, you yeah. can whatever. So that really happened then. So we have a, that really happened. That that, that is official intro. That is on tape. That is on tape. Yes. <clears throat> so okay, we're recording. This is a thing. <laughs> this is a this is a show we're doing. My my day went south on me. I feel like my week. I was so excited this morning. It was October 21st. I was like, we're going to talk some about some Back to the Future stuff today. And, and we will, but I'm so bummed right now. My day was just filled with crap after crap after crap of mess ups. Just Salesforce being slow. Just new errors that I found. New limits that I found that I have to work around. Uh, no, no, no offense to anyone that I, that I work with who's listening, but... You know, I need, I need better requirements than I'm getting these days. I'm getting a lot of just kind of random sentences of something's not working or this needs to do this. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I need more information. We really should do a deep dive on like process for, you know, Salesforce projects for software development. Cause they're not always, you know, they're a Salesforce project. You're probably not going to use the same exact process that you would use on a software development project, even on, even on development projects. I mean, depending on the type of project, you're going to have a different process, but I just feel like that's an area where I don't know. People, a lot of improvement could be made in a lot of situations. Yeah. But I mean, that's what, isn't, isn't that what makes a consulting company or consulting partner it? I mean, isn't, isn't their process and how they tackle a problem or, you know, solve a solution or implement a solution isn't that what what makes them what they are no no you, if you have the right people they will overcome your bad process and that's usually what happens of course if you have bad people and a bad process which a lot of these consulting companies have you have really mediocre work which or you a have lot a lot of produce. people to throw out a problem yeah exactly and if when you, you know when you have a big budget a big you know big client and you're a um you know you're one of these big salesforce consulting companies i won't name any names but they know who they are and you, yeah, you, you just throw 30 people at a project and. Which is sad. Cause I, I've noticed that as, as, as the projects get bigger. Um, so it's odd. Some of the smaller projects, you know, if I go back two years ago when, when I was working on some smaller projects, um, it was pretty simple. I, I talked to the client directly or we had a bullet point list of things we wanted to accomplish We'd work through that and we got it done somehow. But then all of a sudden we started getting these larger customers. And with that came all this new oversight, this new way of estimating things, this new way of budgeting things, these new roles that had to be on the project. But then when we get another small project, 
that big methodology gets applied to that small project. And now that small project is bigger than it used to be because yeah. it got blew, blown up by, oh, well, we need to have this person on here and this role and this and this. And we have to pad it with this percentage and that percentage. And I'm like, oh, what's going on here? Right. I mean, I generally think you need, you should use as little process as you can get away with. I know, but it's such a balance because, I mean, at some point you're, you're, when you get to a certain size, you get to level experience, you're almost kind of hedging against all the crap you've dealt with in the past, you know, the, the budget overruns and the issues that came up with clients and, and, and express what they needed. You think your process is going to fix that? No, it isn't. Yeah. But I'm, I'm saying, I think that's the natural progression of how some of this occurs is that as the projects get bigger, they get bigger for reasons. They get bigger because you're trying to hedge against all these other issues that you experienced before. Your, you know, your experience is kind of almost detrimental at that point because you're letting it affect it's like you come with baggage like a consulting partner is now coming to you with their own baggage yeah and you're operating out of fear versus operating out of what's gonna give you the best you know risk kind of trade-off profile yeah yeah and you know even i mean big companies so you can't you can't paint too broad a brush because a lot of big companies have really embraced agile type processes and have foregone, you know, big upfronts requirements planning, you know, CPM, big Gantt charts, all that crap, because they realize that although they may, uh, you 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 feel like upfront you're managing your risk better, you're actually not. Yeah, you're you're not increasing your chances of being successful. And well, if and if you're not in this to be successful, then why are you doing the project? But I also found find things like agile and all that kind of stuff to be ineffective because people involved in it aren't doing it right if that well, makes sense but that's not agile's fault that's not or no, whatever know, process but, you're talking about but i mean you'll you'll hear someone say oh well we do agile and then you go in and, and they're doing and it wrong right they're doing it uh, wrong yeah or exactly. you know oh we've got all these stories and everything but it's it's like it's basically they took their documentation cut it up into sections and made it a story but it's not really doing it's yeah. not achieving the 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 intended purpose and they don't have the right culture it's all about agile is really all about i mean that's what that's what we've learned from you know, the, the unicorns like Netflix and Etsy and whatever is it's all about culture, putting the right culture in place. And it's not near and, and having the right people. It's not near as much about process as, as what you would think. Yeah. I mean, but especially, I say, especially with these processes that we have now with, with real cloud, I'm not talking about Salesforce, I'm talking about real cloud where you're doing, you know, 10 deployments a day, right? I mean, virtually every, every pull request that gets accepted rolls out into an automated build. And right. if you need to roll back later, no problem. It's, it's like a one-click thing. You can roll back. Of course, you can't do this with Salesforce. So that, that's why you can't really do real agile or not modern processes with Salesforce development. But um, yeah, I mean, when you have the right kind of people and the right culture, you really have a very lightweight process, even in gigantic operations. That's, yeah, that, that's how that's, you're competitive. That's what gives you a competitive edge. Yeah. I would, I would like to think so. I would like to hope so. But that, that the concept's also hard to sell to as a partner to a client or as a consultant to a client. The idea that your project's done when it's done. You know, the idea that it's iterative. The idea that I can give you this some um, kind of level of effort, but that's not reality. You know, well, if, you, if you want to if you want to tie a bow around this budget and say it's going to cost a hundred grand to get this implemented. That may not be what it officially costs at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, it's, it reminds me of the Tommy Boy thing, where he's, you know, he's like, I can, I can crap in a box and put a warranty on. Is that what you want? <laughs> you know, I, okay, sure, we can use some 
stupid 1980s process, which, which says that we will do this much work and you will get exactly this out of it. Is that what you want? It's probably not true. In fact, it's almost certain to be not true. Or we can give you a process that you, you uh, are learning much more quickly ahead of time where the direction that your project's going in, you can make more fine-grained decisions, you can make quicker decisions, you can react faster, you can end the project faster if you achieve the value you need sooner than what you thought you were going to, you can save money that way. I mean, it's, it's, it's really about education. There's just so few. I, I literally have not seen a single, and I'll, again, I'm, I'll talk in the Salesforce world here, not a single Salesforce consultant that does this right. But look who's, look who's providing the leadership for Salesforce consultants. It's Salesforce's, it's Salesforce and their PS group. And look how they do business. It's yeah, actually I, been a while since I've worked in, around them. So maybe they've changed. Because I know internally at Salesforce, their engineering group, I mean, they operate on supposedly a very scrum-like you yeah. know, agile process. And that was, you know, according to them, their, their key to being able to keep up and keep, you know, doing three releases a year without major remember how they used to have it was really risky when they rolled out a new release i mean it's still kind of risky like you never want to plan something when they're doing a release but they you know they would have things they'd have to roll back or they'd have you know major downtime they just don't have that anymore and not like they used to and they credit you know their process with that Mm -hmm. but their ps group i don't think is anywhere close to that they sell big upfront design and of course it's the most bogus design you read and you're like that is that is not going to last five minutes after enemy contact. That that project plan. Yeah, yeah. The PS group doesn't doesn't seem to subscribe to to what Salesforce Central Engineering does. It's it's been a while since I worked with them, so they, maybe they they could have changed. I, I don't. Yeah, know. Yeah, it's been a while since I worked with them too, so I can't say how it is today. But I, I do remember having discussions and even well, I'll say quasi arguments with with some of the PS teams um, because they wanted to treat what we did as a consulting partner as software development but they weren't allocating funds that way if that makes sense like they they had these really tight fixed bid budgets that they wanted you to work within but yet they expected all of the quality control metrics and resources of a you know actual software development shop so they wanted all these people do QA and functional testing and, and automated builds and all that kind of stuff, yet they allocated very little money towards that goal. So it's the whole project had too small of a budget. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, yeah. Or you see that all the time. I mean, look at, um, look at the way just Salesforce salespeople sell projects. I mean, they, they promise all kinds of things that you can't actually do without, you know, significant add-ons or, or custom development and things. And, and even they actually, some, a lot of times promise things that just basically aren't possible on the Salesforce platform. It's like, okay, how, how do we deal with this now? You got to, now you've got to talk these people down. Yeah. I mean, it's not so much that it's promised. not possible. It's possible to do. It's time and money. Mm-hmm. Some, no, some things are verging on impossible on, on Salesforce. You mean natively? Yeah, Natively. Yes. yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you could probably somehow, you know, use you know external computing resources and yeah push stuff i mean it just depends on the use case but but yeah there's some things that are you just you don't want to do in salesforce and but there's just salespeople that are selling these deals though they don't you know i'm not i don't know if they intentionally are selling things that aren't possible or or they're just trying to close the deal i mean you know you know salesforce is an incredibly high pressure sales environment so it's not surprising that this 
those kinds of things happen. But yeah, but I think it's easier whenever you're talking declarative stuff. It's when you get into the custom stuff that it starts to. They don't even distinguish between declarative. They, they, well, that's the problem. When they promise like stuff, said, they don't even know whether it's declarative or whether it's. I know, and that that comes back to what I originally said about the budget being too small. Is that they? By the way, they, every Salesforce consultant that's listening right now is going, "Hell yes, this happens, and we're sick of it." Because <laughs> that's who has to do. That's who has to you know pick up the pieces of these. Yeah, I mean, promises. they sell it as if everything can be done natively, and then you come back and say, "Hey, our, our you know, this isn't native. This requires custom." And and then that leads the client to say, "Okay, well, we thought it was going to be." Well, I'm just going to throw some numbers out. Ten grand to to get started up on Salesforce, whatever. And I'm making that up. Mm-hmm. But now you're coming back and saying that you need to do custom work, and you want it to you want it to do it agile, which means you can't really tell me how much it's going to end up costing. But you're saying it'll be maybe be maybe be maybe be another twenty grand. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's that balance, it's that education, it's it's the you know fighting against you know setting them in reality of what's actually possible and what can be done, and getting them past that hurdle, and then it's getting them into this other methodology of saying, okay, um, we can deliver it, but we don't want to tell you exactly how much it's going to cost because we don't know yet. Well, that's the honest answer. And that's a tough sell. Uh, I, I guess. It's a tough sell for someone who's trying to get something done and has to go to someone else and within their organization and justify that. Yeah. But people have to be, and all links in the chain have to be adults and know that there's there is no guarantee. If someone's offering you a guarantee, they're either completely ripping you off and they've multiplied their estimate times 6x to cover their own asses. Which right? is or, how or this happens. Just, or they're just lying to you and it, this thing is going to crash and burn and you're going to blow your budget and you're not going to have a solution in place, which puts you at a business risk, a competitive risk, and you've just you know lost timing on whatever opportunity you had. Well, that, that, what I see happening is people choosing the... Uh, it's not the latter. <laughs> former. The f- former. And they've taken the easy rate out, the easy way out, which is we'll pad our numbers. We'll we'll kind of absolve ourselves of the risk by padding the numbers. And so, who's guaranteeing who's guaranteeing that the project gets done on budget? Then the the provi- the solution provider. Everyone's everyone's got their sit. Everyone everyone in this situation is sitting there with their hand, their fingers crossed, their toes crossed, going, "I hope we're under. I hope we're on budget." Right. Because everyone's padded their their crap. Yeah. The client has said, "Okay, this is how much it's going to cost. No more to to their accounting group." And so everyone is is implementing this under the veil of we hope it doesn't cost. And no more. one really knows because you know why? No one really knows what. No one really understands the requirements. No, at and, that point, and, no one does. And even the and here's the funny thing is, even the people that think they understand the requirements, let's say the customer, the product owner, whatever you want to call them in this case, even they don't understand the requirements near as much as what they think they do. And that's the crux of like this, the understanding that you need to go with some kind of agile process. I don't care. I mean, I've, I've worked with products where people spent six months studying, analyzing and documenting the requirements. And two months into the project, they realized that all kinds of stuff has got to change. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's easily done, especially when you're trying to augment some gap in your, we'll say tool set. Yeah. And you find out, well, the issue we're having is really a symptom of this other thing not working right or being too difficult to work with or it requires a lot of manual just maintenance and attention. Yep. Uh, and so it can easily snowball from there if you, if you just sit there and try to analyze the world. Uh, so I'm not even saying to that. I mean, that's an extreme degree of, of taking one small thing you want to solve and it getting expanded to finding every little gap and thing that needs to be changed. Yeah, But I mean, it's tough to say, well, we should be doing Agile and we should go to this because then it comes down to, well, how do you get started? Do you go to a class? Do you buy a piece of software to help you manage that? Because I, I hate software. Can't you buy, I, wait, can't you just, you can buy Agile in a box, right? 
<laughs> I was about to say, I hate the idea that someone's going to go, oh, we'll do Agile. Is there a tool out there that can help me do this? And just the phrase. Because just they're the, buying this, the tool without knowing the methodology. Just or understanding the principles and the values and the things that, that underlie all this. Yeah. But yeah, yeah the, even the idea of, quote, doing Agile sh- shouldn't even be a thing. I mean, it's, it's like it's a binary thing, right? The, the, the act of, doing, of calling uh, it what it is? Yeah, or, and even, and even yeah. just... Even how every aspect of like a waterfall type process is just completely demonized. When actually there's aspects of waterfall that are actually fairly nice. And in some cases, it makes sense to do waterfall, at least in a, for a small scope of a project, a waterfall type of thing for a certain module or, or whatever. I mean, it's just about, yeah, it's, it's understanding these processes and, and being realistic and honest about what you know, what you don't know, what your risks are, and making the right decision at the time. And how do you get there? I don't know, man. I'm not, I'm not an expert. I mean, I've been reading stuff about software processes for 20 years. I've been going to conferences where we do this. I've, I've tried many different ones in practice. And I feel, like I, have, I feel like I don't have any answers. I mean, I know guys who are these coaches, like a software process coaches. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, they seem like they've got, you know, they've, you know, probably... I mean, they, that, that's all they focus on, right? So theoretically, they've, you know, maybe hiring someone like that, actually, if you are considering an initiative. Um, it's certainly better than not, you know, getting some, some legitimate consulting or, you know, advice and training. Yeah. Um, yeah, you got to, but people have got to be, people have got to be trained, whether it's, you know, you have an in-house expert or whether you go find someone who's an expert. They've got yeah, to the be trained because if not, they end up doing it all completely wrong. They're doing stand-ups. You know, they're doing retrospectives, they're doing all these things, but they're at, there's so much of their culture that's, that's wrong. You know, they've, they're either, you know, they're still blaming, they're not actually, they're actually working together, they're, the product owner is, you know, completely, playing a completely inappropriate role, and the Scrum Master doesn't know any better because this is his, her, you know, his or her first time to, to do it. You know, it's just mm-hmm. like everything's out of whack. You know, no one trusts anyone. That you're not operating effectively as as a the way an agile team is supposed to work. But it by checking all the if you look at you know how they can take off all these boxes they're doing is for these processes, it looks like on paper they're doing it right. Right. I mean, it, it does have to be cultural, and it does have to come from the top down because you know a manager saying, "Hey, we're going to start doing agile. I'm going to send you to training," and then that's the end of it. I mean, that's that's not how it's going to work, and it has to be foundational from from the company as a goal to solve a particular gap in in their process to, it has to be incorporated it can't just be this this fad thing we're trying at this point in time it can't be this oh everyone says we should be doing agile so let's let's go do agile yeah you, know, well, you have to understand right. why you're going to be doing it and, and what purpose it's going to serve you should understand it before you say you're going to do it i mean as a consulting agency or company or partnership or whatever you want to call yourself um at, that's what you should understand about, you know, what you're offering to your clients in terms of process and all those kind of things is, you know, this is how we do things and we're really successful at it because we do these things. And, and to me, that's how you get it embedded into your culture of this is the way we do things, regardless if it's agile or waterfall, is just saying this is how we do it. Yep. Or, and, and understanding why you're doing it. Like understanding like, hey, we do Scrum, but instead of this, we do this instead of this. So, like understanding those things, yeah. why you're doing the process that you're doing. Most companies... Or teams, or I don't say most, a lot of them anyway, 
Yeah, they're doing some process. They have no idea why they're doing it. Or they don't even understand. They're doing it. They don't realize they're doing a process. They are doing it. They are using a process. They just don't understand it. They haven't analyzed it. They haven't looked at it. They haven't, right. you know, been introspective about it. Yeah. But it's tough. It's tough to sit there and think about how can we make our process better whenever everyone's taxed, you know, time-wise. I mean, everyone's busy. Everyone's trying to do stuff. Everyone's trying to get stuff out the door. Well, It's tough to sit down and go, okay, well, it's like there's never a good time to do anything. There's and never are, a good are, time to... Are you kind of moving into the topic of what do you do when everyone's only got fractional time devoted to this project? Because that completely yeah. changes. In fact, I don't think most of these processes pretty much depend on most of the team members being full-time dedicated to the project. And that, that's the problem. If they're not, that throws an, an insurmountable wrench into the whole gears. It is. I mean, it's, it's tough to kind of take these, what I'm going to call micro projects where, you know, you, you're part of a project team, but maybe your part of it is, is a couple of days worth of work or, or a week or, or a week or two weeks. And to try and apply this process to that and somehow inject yourself in and out of it alongside doing, you know, two or three other projects. Yep. You know, it's, it's almost maddening to try to think that way and try to wrap your head around how you're going to accomplish that goal. You're, you're in, you're in treading water. And that's, I mean, that's unfortunate. That's the way a lot of these projects are. You are in treading water mode. Because I think things like it's, Agile and Scrum and all that, and it works great for Salesforce because they're working on their product, their application. Yeah, no, those guys they're are not, they're, it's not like I'm working on my Salesforce project and I'm doing PS work. Right. And They're dedicated on teams that yeah. are dedicated on building something. They build a bond. They build a relationship. Everyone, the, the wheels are getting oiled. If a new member comes in, there's someone there to support them and say, here's how we do this. Let me oil your wheels for you. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, it's, it, it's easier within that environment because things, there, there is some stableness to it. There is something, there's a, something tangible that you can reach to and say, okay, this is how we do things. This is the way it works. You're going to see this process go through because we're all doing it. You know, but when you're kind of going from project to project as a consultancy, and you're, you're not only working and dealing with your own system process, politics, you're also injecting your client's process and politics into your environment, and you're trying to manage all that. And then times that two or three projects at a time. Yeah, yeah it's... It, it almost seems unattainable. I mean, there's, that's probably why we're all so stressed and tired. And Well, that's also how you, why you get to a you know, situation where you've got a big team of everyone's billing $300 an hour. And six months into it, you know, you've burned, I don't know, millions of dollars and the project's in complete disarray. Yeah. And and no one has a clue on if it's going to be, if it's even salvageable and whether the project should actually even continue or not. I know. You know what's sad? What? (laughs) I don't know the answer to any of it. I don't either. At this point, I'm just venting. I'm going, this sucks. This is what we deal with on a daily basis. Well, you say you don't know an answer, but you've got enough experience and intuition to know answers to a lot of these questions. If I give you a specific context, you'd be able to tell me, I'm just like, what if I told you that, okay, I've got a project, you got four team members, so a small project, right? Four team members. Um, each person is, you know, spending 20 to 30% of their time on this project in a week and none of them are doing it at the same time. Why is this project a problem? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, I mean, sometimes the answers well, are obvious, right? The, the problem, the problem with my experience now isn't that my experience isn't helping me Go, yeah, this is this this is how we're gonna do this. This is gonna be the right thing to do. The only thing my my experience is serving for me right now is is that feeling in my gut that says, Oh, this is gonna be horrible. This is gonna be bad. This but project know, is gonna be painful. That's all my experience is doing for me at this point in time. Uh, yeah, I guess so. And and the thing is, is you can get away with working on, on projects that are completely dysfunctional 
because of the the individual skills that you bring. You could like what I, that's one of the things I initially said was sometimes the process doesn't. If you've got people that are good enough, the you could put them on waterfall, scrum, XP, whatever. They're going to be successful. They're going to find a way. To, good people find a way to be successful. If, yeah. if you have the right people, it's it's incredibly hard to assemble the right people, and they're expensive. But if you do, you will end up spending less money, and you will have a successful business outcome. Yeah, but the problem is those those good people end up getting put on more and more things because they will somehow find a way to get it done. And that person, right. yeah, John up, John got it done before, and let's let's stretch him thin and put yeah, him on three different projects. Stretch thin, and you know what? You, like, you oh. know what? You figure out how to. And get then it. I keep, start. I become the non-reliable one because I'm spread so thin. I'm just like oh, I can't take anymore. But you keep figuring out how to get it done, and that and that's why you're a. I mean, I you know I don't know if this is TMI for the podcast, but you're the type of guy that's always getting abused. <laughs> I'm abused. No, it's, I just, you just see people abuse you left and right because a lot of it's my own making. And I, I agree. A lot you, of it, I just say yes too often, right? And that's a big problem for yeah. me. A lot of it, I say yes when it's slow, and then it gets busy, well, and all those things yeah. that I said yes to that were delayed, you know, 10 times Well, that's why I, hit. yes always has an asterisk. Yes, if what you just said happens right now, I would say yes. Yeah. If you can't, you know, I, I can't say yes, I will do this three months from now when I don't know what's going on then. Well, here's the other problem is, is I do that, it gets pushed off, and then that person they found to do it last minute, or, you know, whatever, didn't do it right. And so now I'm back in it in an emergency situation going, crap, I got to yeah, fix this. Like, yeah, I should have done still this. Didn't, I should have done this from the beginning. No, you still, just because someone else did a bad job doesn't mean that you can commit to fixing someone else's screw ups in some certain amount of time. I mean, maybe you can, but you should always. Well, it's not so much screw ups. It's, it's lack of experience because a lot of times, I mean. Well, whatever you want to call it, you know, just stuff, end result, things don't get done right. Yeah, I mean, it just, there wasn't enough foresight. I mean, it worked on day one, but it didn't scale well, or some some issue like that is, is kind of what I've been battling lately, is things scaling correctly. Because that's really, I don't think I bring anything to the table that anyone else doesn't bring, aside from my experience, to know this may or may not scale because of what I've seen in the past. And that's kind of, when I look at things, I try to see how it's going to scale. I'm not always successful at it. By no means, but sure, yeah, no one. I mean, we. But a lot of times, the things I do and the reason and the I guess defensive programming that I have kind of implemented is built around. I know this is not going to scale, or I know this this probably could happen. Yeah. Well, that's that's funny that we just got into that because I <laughs> I didn't mean for us to have a full on conversation about process because I'm completely unprepared. I haven't really organized my thoughts, but. I'm just, I'm venting. I'm just, this, I know, this no, is where my no, mind is I'm at just, right now. I'm just, just venting. Right. No, this is fine with me. I'm just saying that I didn't intend for us to get on the process. I, I would have, I think, you know, organized some thoughts had I known that, but. Yeah. Do we, do, so what topics do we have? Because you said you were going to, so we, yeah, so it's been, we took a week off because I didn't feel like recording you were lazy. Week. Yeah, I'm just, you know. <laughs> hadn't had a break since Dreamforce, and I didn't really have that much I felt like I wanted to talk about. So we had to wake up. So we, theoretically, we've got a bunch of topics piled up that are backed up, ready. We know, no, because I think for me, I just picked like some topical news or some new things from the news that we could kind of pick apart. But I, I, it would have been reaching. It would have been force, forcing an episode to happen, I think. Yeah. Rather than just kind of us sitting there and having a conversation, which is what we're, tr- we're trying to get back to. Because I think for a while there, we got really news heavy. We were so focused on news topics and, and reporting the news that I don't think we, I think we started deviating from us just 
sitting here and having a conversation. Not to say that news doesn't come into it. I mean, yeah, I think it's that we wanted to have some, you know, things to talk about, maybe. Like yeah. Conversation. Yeah. Topics. I mean, if you see something interesting, let's talk about it. But at, at one point, it got to the point where we're just kind of regurgitating news topics and reading a blog post for someone, I think, in my yeah. opinion. Well, so what's on the docket? It's back to the future. Actually, it's back to the past after today, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Today is the day, huh? Yeah. Have your kids seen Back to the Future at all? No. Not Although either. I was just saying, I think, I think, I think one of them's old enough. I think. What I'm, are they PG? I mean, they're 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 pretty mild, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, the first the first one especially. I mean, it takes place in the fifties, right? Yeah. I mean, I think Star Wars is more scary, more violence and stuff, shooting and dying and blowing up. No yeah. bad words, but. Arms getting chopped off by, yeah, exactly. by laser swords. People, you're drowning in lava and all kinds of crap. Yeah. Whereas what, Back to Future, maybe a couple of really mild curse words uh, yeah, and, and maybe a punch or two here and there. Right. And, yeah. So, yeah, I think that that's actually a good candidate movie. But are you going to start them with one or, and then go into two and three or just... I think so. I mean, I, I think I want them it. to see, the, see them in the order that they were made in, that I saw them in. I did that with Star Wars, but... Again, the the order that they're made in, and I have not exposed them to the new three, and I don't know if I will. Really, just because you don't think it's good? I don't. I don't like any of the the newer episodes at all. Yeah, I never saw the first one, the Jar Jar Binks one, whatever one. I I just that was no number dis- one, right? Yeah, that was okay. episode one. You never saw that? No. So you I've, only- seen, I've seen bits and pieces of it because it's been shown on TV and things like that. But I just quick, I can't stomach it. I change it. Wow. I don't think it's that. I don't know. I feel like people blow out of proportion how bad those, the, the one, two, and three are. Oh, and then that, that Hayden guy, his, his, him, and, he, and even, um, what's her name? Um, shoot. I don't know who you're talking about. What's her name? Uh, how can I forget her name? What's her name? Um, who played her? Princess Amadala or something like that. Yeah. Her. Yeah. Who, who played her? Right. Name? That's what I'm trying to find out. Google. Help me out here. Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman. She's a good actress. So this she movie is. made her made her look like a horrible actress. The dialogue mm, and everything was yeah. bad. And then and then her having to Samuel L. Jackson was really bad. Yeah, and yeah, he was too. But her having to play against that hating guy who's just horrible. I don't know if he's improved since then. I haven't seen any of his movies, but he he, he was just horrible. And he, and a lot of it probably was the dialogue and the situations because he just came off as this whiny little brat and I was just sick of listening to him sitting there crying and moaning about no one taking him seriously. So I just, I just was not entertained. The only entertaining thing I found about the newer episodes was getting to see Yoda kick some butt. And that was about it. Yeah. Um, <sighs> you know, the, the funny thing is, uh, so you can, you can complain about the actors and actresses in these, in the newer ones and how bad they were. But I tell you what, it doesn't get much worse than Mark Mark Hamill, that his name, that played Luke Skywalker. He's terrible. He's absolutely terrible. I mean, just so cheesy. It's such a just he didn't I mean he didn't fit the character. He was just such a weenie, a whiny weenie. Yeah. I, I have to say, Han, you know, um damn it, I can't remember any name now. My brain is fried. <laughs> Who played Han Solo? Um What's the guy's name? <laughs> people are people are listening to us going, I don't uh, I just I just uh That's hilarious. 
you Google Han Solo and um, it's he's treated like a real person. Like, you know, Google gives you that kind of sidebar thing where you can see, you know, about the, it gives you that quick bio. It doesn't even mention um, Harrison Ford, who I just remembered that, not right. by seeing it, but just remembered it in my brain. It doesn't even mention Harrison Ford on here. It's treating it like he's a real person. It says Han Solo, Star Wars character. It doesn't even mention Harrison Ford anywhere on this card. All right. That's hilarious. But he, yeah, he's a, he is a good actor. He was good. Um, even the Princess Leia woman, she was okay. She was better than Mark Hamill. Yeah, yeah, she was. I mean, he's just terrible. He should be ashamed of himself. He's a pretty good voice actor. He ruined my childhood. He's a pretty awesome voice no, actor. No, he's not. Yes, he is. No. He does the Joker. Did you know that? Uh, something funny just came through my screen here. Anyway. He's the Joker, is that what you said? Yeah. No, he's pretty popular in voiceover work. Um, so, I don't know. I just, um, I didn't really care for them, and I didn't want to devote, you know, that much time to trying to expose my kids to it. They liked the first three, and they enjoyed them, and they grabbed my toy lightsabers, which are kind of theirs. No, the first three, you mean four, five, and six? Four, five, and six. Okay. And they play with those and they enjoy it. And my son has a Chewbacca build a bear thing that makes noise and that makes me really happy. Yeah. <laughs> so Back to the Future is one that I wasn't sure if they'd like, but I really liked it. So I'll see if they like it. I just, I don't know. They, I mean, what kid would not like this DeLorean that can travel into the future? But it's and such this- a p- small part of the movie. I mean, it, it happens, and then you're into the story of That's true. him trying to stay alive. And him <laughs> dating his mom and try, spoilers, trying to stay spoilers. away from her. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. You know? So it's it's kind of a... It's not really an action movie. It's not that kind of thing. But it, it is a good movie. It's a good story. So I, I think my daughter would. I don't know if my son would stick around. He might like the car parts because he loves cars. Yeah. And then he'll run off, and then he'll come back to it, probably, yeah. is what uh, I imagine. Yeah. He's still a little young to sit through the whole thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so today's the day, right? That they went into the future. Yeah. Where they had... Where they had hoverboards. Hoverboards. Flying um, cars. Yep, flying cars. Um, uh, everyone was like uh, Max Hedrumized in the restaurant. So like you had Michael Jackson taking your order. <laughs> it's so funny. They never fixed the glitch, you know? Everyone still kind of stutters. Yeah. Uh, Pepsi Perfect. We don't have Pepsi Perfect. What was that? Uh, in the... And the, when he goes into the diner, he orders a Pepsi and it comes out of this thing in this container and it's called Pepsi Perfect. Hmm. I don't remember that. Do you remember Crystal Pepsi? Yeah. That was terrible. Yeah, it was. Oh, we, we still play games with our hands, although we do have the tech, the capability of playing without hands with, you know, the Xbox uh, Connect and yeah. all those, but. Yeah. What else? What else? Uh, so they, so I guess it's safe to say they dramatically overestimated the progress that we would make with tech and technology. Right. <laughs> well, I saw, I saw a documentary on it and, um, you know, they, they just kind of, the writers, they, they just kind of, um, tried to imagine what would come through. And some of it, they were kind of pulling from news headlines and some of it, they're kind of pulling from things that they read where it was like, in the future, we're going to have this. And so they tried to incorporate some of that. A lot of it, they just kind of guessed it, you know, what would be kind of cool. And I don't think they're, goal was to be accurate it was to make an entertaining movie it was, right? yeah, exactly yeah. it was to make so. an entertaining movie so it's it's fun to see some of that come to fruition yeah um like people like to give them credit for the google glass because they had the visors in that movie mm. you know yeah 
And um, the watch, people try to give them credit for the smart watch because now we have smart watches that tell us the weather, although not as accurately. Right. Um, we don't have hoverboards. Well, we have hoverboards, but they don't work like they do in the movies. Uh, you know, it's funny. <laughs> no, they don't. I've been seeing a lot of things lately knocking hoverboards going, hey, you think you want a hoverboard, but you really don't. You never really would. How much time do you spend at a skate park and things like that? I'm like, it's a hoverboard. I'd want a hoverboard. Like yeah, that. I mean, if they worked, that would be really yeah. cool, right? I mean, who would? There, there's people who are, what are those things? I don't know what they are, but there's those two-wheel things. It's just a bar and two wheels, and people are standing and walking on them. It's almost like a mini Segway. A mini Segway? Yeah, it's just it's just a little board. Yeah, with wheels on each, yeah. each side? and it's it just, it's horizontal. Is there other, is there a handlebar? Like a handlebar no, there's no handlebars. It's just that, and you balance on it, and you the way you rotate your feet determines how you move forward, back, and turn left and right. Man, I would eat crap so bad on that. A lot of people have. But a lot of people that have gotten used to them just use them everywhere. There's even celebrities and everything. I'm like, yeah, if there was a hoverboard, people would be doing that. Right. You know, they'd be using that. Not, not to mention the, you know, we talk about hoverboards and, and maglev and things, but that would, that would be awesome. Yeah. Not just for entertainment, but for other things. I mean, moving things yep. with very little effort and energy because it's not, there's no friction. Yeah. That's true. We have those little moving men. You know what those are? No. It's just this, like, it's like the size of a small plate, but it's plastic and just really smooth on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And then on top of it is like this, like a real dense foam thing, but you put one under each like corner or leg of like a furniture or something oh, and yeah. it just slides really easily. But it has to be on carpet though. I've done it on cross tile. I mean, the thing is like, you might don't want to move it across like a wood floor because it would probably scratch it. If, yeah. yeah. But yeah, carpet, tile, whatever. I, I know what you're talking about. As moving a, men. <laughs> <laughs> we use those at the gym, by the way. Did you? Yeah. We, there's, there's some, they're kind of foot-shaped. I guess they were adapted for that. I, I, they were probably started off as like some cheesy infomercial thing I laughed at at one point, but now my trainer makes me use them. It makes me kind of, he actually has me use these uh, tension bands on my legs. So I strap in and then I have to kind of like just squat my way across the room. Mm. It's kind of embarrassing. But it, I mean, it, it gets, it gets what we work out. So yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, there was one interesting piece of tech news, and I don't know if you follow this because it's, I don't know, it's in, um, but De- is it Dell that is buying EMC? What is EMC? Sounds familiar. Is that like a music thing? Uh, <laughs> is that ELO? Or, um, it's not that music thing that, that, sold you like a a CD for a penny and then <laughs> harassed you when you didn't pay. Oh. No, you talking about the the clubs or whatever those yeah. were? No. Now EMC is a well they they're a giant storage company. Like they they sell more enterprise storage than anyone. But they also own and I don't I don't understand the full corporate relationship here, but they also own Pivotal which somehow or another owns VMware or their sister companies. I don't know. It's like the same. I'm not sure who owns who. And there's like a VMware tracking stock, even though it's private. It's all very confusing to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also, which also someone owns Spring. So the Spring framework was bought by, I think it was bought by VM. No, I'm yeah, sorry. It was, it was. Yeah, but then they became Pivotal. So Spring and like, I think Spring and Pivotal joined and then were under VMware, which was under EMC or something. I don't know. It's super confusing, but Supposedly Dell's going to buy EMC, um, but I'm seeing an article right here today. I don't know who this is. It's a Forbes, so 
you know, take it for what it's worth. But they're saying that this EMC deal is doomed from the start. I don't know why, but I read something earlier. Someone said that with this level of acquisition going on, Mm -hmm. that this could really, uh, I guess, you know, require or influence Oracle to make a big purchase. And again, Salesforce is being named as, as one of the big potential so, so what is EMC? Targets. Are they are they like a, a Rackspace type data storage no, thing? No, or? no, no. They they make this. They make the giant enterprise storage, and then sell it to you. You want to put it in your data center, right? You need you know 100 terabytes or petabytes or something. Giant storage. Mm-hmm. They make just big boxes of enterprise storage. Hmm. It's BMG, also, by the way. That's what I was thinking. Oh, BMG. Yeah. Oh, that's right. <laughs> well, then there's also BMC. Does BMC still exist? I don't know. BMC software. Bring, oh, yeah, bring IT to life with digital. I don't know what they even do nowadays. They used to be, I think in Austin. I can't remember, but I think their business has pivoted a couple of times. Um, I don't know. Yeah. What do you do, BMC? Make your website easier to understand. Are they on Remedy? The service software? Mm-hmm. Remedy Force. Is that the is that the one that runs on, doesn't that run on sales? It does. <laughs> <laughs> runs on Salesforce. Uh, what could possibly go wrong? Um, today, a lot. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but Salesforce is crapping you know, t- out everywhere. Today is one of those days that I'm reminded that no way in hell... I shouldn't say crapping out, but it's been slow and painful. Would I ever use an accounting or ERP product that ran on Forstock, that truly ran on Forstock.com? You got to be crazy. Get your head checked out. <laughs> uh, I ran into some... Uh, I don't know. I ran into all sorts of bugs and issues. A lot of them are documented, but it was just painful discovering them. Well, this, re- I don't know if it's this release that just happened, winter 16 or what, but there's been all kinds of bugs. And, and here's the other frustrating thing. A tons of the bugs that I've reported have just kind of disappeared and they don't up, they haven't updated the case or anything. Mm. And th- what sucks is I've, I've been assuming there's still bugs. So that I've been, you know, still doing my workarounds, which just, you know, are more the cut take more time or whatever, not realizing that, oh, this has been fixed for I don't know how long, two weeks, two months, I'm not sure. But they fixed it at some point. But they've been doing a lot of hot fixes. It's it's weird. I was thinking about this earlier. In the old in the old days, or in what I call real software engineering. In the olden days. You have a your stack from your topmost UI layer down to like what is running on the hardware, you completely control your you know your OS you know, when you do OS patches, when you patch your JVM, when you patch, when you upgrade your, you know, your uh, MVC framework, when you update, you know, bring in a new version of Bootstrap or just, you know, all these, you know, typically hundreds of components that goes into a, a, a big size project. Mm-hmm. You control every bit of that. You don't just let stuff upgrade. You don't set, you know, you're using something like, um, you know, Node on the on the front end or, um, Maven or Gradle on the server side to to really control and lock down all your versions, and you don't just—I mean, you can actually on all these tools open up to say like, "I'll take any version of this," but you never do. Like you say, you know, "I'll take this exact version," or you can do things. Even I mean, all these tools and even um, what is Rails's thing? They can and ba- and they all have this where they can basically like you can say, "Hey, I'll take version three point one dot x, whatever x is the latest," right? But whatever you 
whatever that gets you of your of all the different components you're using you can then say okay now like freeze dries those or whatever what's whatever the word would be like shrink wrap i mm-hmm. think nodes is called or yeah node i think has shrink wrap right you can you, it basically and it just locks all those versions into place so that when when you check out the latest source code or i'm going to add you to the project you check out the source code and you do an npm install or whatever or Gradle, whatever, it's downloading the exact same versions of everything that I have when I'm running. Because if not, you end up with subtle little bugs and stuff that works differently that takes forever to figure out, right? Yeah. That's the way software development really works. On the Salesforce platform, if you're building on Salesforce One or Force.com or App Cloud or whatever we're calling it nowadays, it is like trying to build a mansion on quicksand. It is constantly moving under your feet right yeah they are patching crap constantly they're fixing stuff they're breaking other stuff because it we all know anytime you roll out a new version of anything no matter how small the patch is or whatever very good likelihood that you at minimum change behavior right right worst case you know actually creating new bugs which happens all the time it's called regressions right it's just part of part of life but but what's you know, Salesforce is engineering. They can control their whole stack. They don't have that problem. But with us, I don't even know when these patches come out. I mean, I guess you. Yeah, I guess I don't, there's no official. I don't. I don't know. I think if you follow or know the right people, like there's what doesn't Salesforce? I know they have a weekly. I don't know what day it is. Is it Monday? They do patches. Hmm. I've heard of it, but I don't know. But they also day. do hot fixes. You know, whenever they want to. So basically, you just you've got these things that are constantly changing and new bugs that are coming up, bugs that are going away, and and on top of that. Like runtime performance changes constantly. Yeah, like, but they, they like own, there they was own. like I went to Trust today, and there's weird things with Visual Force performance on certain pods. Yeah. And the thing that with the project that I'm working on, that I was telling some other team members, we're all like, "What is going on?" It what normally is like a 10 second compile or yeah. Apex is now is now five to 10 minutes. Like no one, we didn't, we weren't able to get anything done today. And Trust doesn't say anything about it. I created a case with Salesforce, I haven't heard anything back, and we have Premier support. I tweet at Salesforce, zero radio silence. And what's weird is I didn't see many, I didn't see much on Twitter about this. Like, not a lot of other people complaining. Of course, I didn't spend much time searching. I, yeah, I I don't know. I think people are just, they. it's not uncommon for, for compile things to, to take that long. So it, for some of us, it's just like, oh, it's, it's slow again. You know, but for a simple Apex class to take five minutes it's happened before i know and that's you, what i'm saying you get, condi- you get kind of this what, is my what do they point. call that syndrome where you, you're kind of sympathetic to your abuser oh well, it's stockholm syndrome. <laughs> stockholm syndrome you get stockholm syndrome yeah. because you're just kind of like oh it's happening again let me just oh, it's just my day is going to go like this but your but our, your expectations shouldn't be this low like you should people i'm telling you we you we all have we do have stockholm syndrome go to go to a let's go downstairs these guys that build software like they probably build on java or dot net or something talk to them like they have completely different expectations about the platform they build on oh yeah yeah well i mean our expectations have been modified based on what we're working with and that's the platform and i mean our whole mindset the way we engineer things has changed i mean it's we're all li- trying to build and work around the limits i mean our the way we do things is completely different than what i would do it on if i was building c sharp or something else yeah and even i mean think of other cloud like look at heroku for example so they you don't control the os version you don't even really control the the software stack right from right. The, from the web layer on down i mean there's parts about it you can configure but the thing is is their changes are highly controlled and i'm sure i'm sure that when salesforce 
makes changes too. That I'm sure to them it's highly controlled, but they don't they don't communicate that up back to us like as if they don't treat us like real developers who actually care about this crap who are having to deal with it. Whereas someone even Heroku, which is owned by Salesforce, they do. Like when you, you know, any changes to the stack are planned, announced in detail, and they're you know it's like you don't have this problem of it constantly shifting underneath your feet and not knowing what to expect. Well, that's I mean we've talked about this a little bit before, but that's because. We're not Salesforce's audience. Heroku developers are their audience, and like on our, that, that's their customers. And I don't and Salesforce I, developers aren't their customers. Yeah, it's users, admins, it's CIOs, CFOs, it's, it's those right, guys, right? And they don't. They would have no idea what we're even talking about. They're yeah. like, "Huh? What are you doing? What's your problem?" <laughs> you know, yeah, you nerd. Yeah, <laughs> but. Yeah, and even things like I mean, I've I've got more recent experience with things like Amazon, uh, the Elastic Beanstalk, which is a platform, which is a platform as a service. Like you you deploy, you drop your WAR file into it, and it's you know, it's got a Tomcat and all the stuff running. But um, when you create an, a Beanstalk app, right, mm-hmm. is what they call it. It basically pulls in. I mean, you can choose which image you want. You can even provide your own image, but it's by default going to pull like whatever the latest you know Tomcat Java Seven image or whatever. But once you have that, like that is your image. And when they come out with new, when they bake new images, you don't, you don't just, they just don't slide that into your stack and like, oh, now you got a new version of Java and you got a new version of Tomcat. And well, they don't do that. Like that's up to you actually at that point. Yeah. You can take that if you want, but by default, they're not going to jack with your stack. And that's because they're catering to developers. I mean, they're yeah. catering to, real, real to developers. our various yes. needs, but Salesforce Who, isn't catering to developers. Salesforce is catering to those who need a declarative But that's what I'm like, how can, how can you run an ERP on this? How can you run Sage Live on this? What do you do with your Sage Live team of 30 developers on a day like today when nothing's working? I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's a problem for us. It is. I mean, we, we lose a lot of productivity to it. We're, we're constantly working against limits. Not, not working against and solving for bugs in our architecture and design but a lot of times just trying to get it to work on salesforce trying to get it to scale on salesforce trying to get it to compile on salesforce yeah they're trying to figure out which id to use because it broke on us yeah (laughs) i i I just yeah i'm just hard it's hard for me to rationalize this and i'm and it's also hard for me i'm like what how do i what is your message back to your clients who are Salesforce customers. Yeah, but most of our clients don't care. They, they, care, they, they care that they have a CRM system okay. and they, they want it to do this extra thing and it's our job to make it work. They don't, they don't care that it gets versioned or it has this version of it running or it takes five minutes to compile. They just want their stuff done. Yeah, but you didn't get it done. You didn't get it done today. And you, you had to bill them. You had to bill eight hours anyway. You mean you were, you were working, you were spending most of your time waiting. It's an issue. Yeah. I mean, I guess if their budgets are big enough that it's just done hit their radar, they don't care. That's fine. You know? I guess I guess this is where we have to pad our hours, right? Another extra 5% or 1%. we got to pad our hours to well, account today, for compile time. Today was the inverse of that. It's like, you know, padding a thousand percent. You see how this snowballs. You can see how, how this I mean, type some, of experiences affects that, how, how we approach a customer. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. And this is, I, I, that's why I have such mixed feelings about Salesforce. Because they do bring a lot to the table, and it's a good CRM system. 
right? It's a good CRM system. It's probably the best general purpose CRM, CRM system for medium to small, or medium to large organizations. Nodding. Yes. Uh, you know, and yes, you get it. They, are, they have a good, pretty good security record. They have a pretty good, if you can, if it's binary, they have a fairly decent uptime record. Although, by the way, there are no SLAs. They actually don't guarantee anything. Really? Yeah. Another reason, like, really? You're going to run your ERP on that? No SLA? No okay. one cares about SLAs. They care about safe harbors. But but before <laughs> Salesforce, like, it would, it was, no one would not have an SLA. You'd be laughed out of a room if you didn't offer an SLA. No CIO would sign, ever sign a contract that did not involve an SLA. And now it's like no one even talks about it. No, no CI would also ever decide to build a bunch of code in some proprietary system that you were locked into. Yeah, I mean, this, this, this is a different environment, a different model. I mean, why would Salesforce offer an SLA on something that can be heavily customized and modified by, by their customers? But, but at least the availability of their platform. They, do not, they, don't, they don't make any guarantees about the availability the thing is, of their a lot platform. of these things that we're talking about that are affecting us as developers aren't affecting users. They're still able to update, save, and, and do what they need to do. Uh, yeah, like today I saw no issues with sales, like the Salesforce application, the CRM application right. itself. Not that there's aren't not that there aren't issues sometimes. I mean, there's always going to be. I mean, it, it's software, right? There's. I'm not saying Salesforce has to be perfect or or shame on them for ever having a problem. That's not it at all. It's just that their message about this is this platform that you can, as Mark Benioff said at Dreamforce a few years ago, you can now build Salesforce. You could build Salesforce on Salesforce, which is untrue by about a thousand degrees, but still, <laughs> what they're how they're positioning this platform does not match with reality. But that's marketing. That's the world of marketing. That's 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 the the images you get on on this burger that doesn't really exist. Sure. That's been stylized. That's that's been produced by a stylist. Not I, I just a don't know of any other. Chef. I don't know of any other company that's has this a platform like Salesforce does that's masquerading it as a as a top tier platform. No, I mean it's unique in in what it, in its offering. And that's what makes it popular unique and as successful. In it's, unique as in it's all the languages are completely proprietary and unique as in there's zero local development. All of your development is only in the cloud. That is unique. I know. These are, these are all bad things. No, they're, they're challenges. They're opportunities to overcome. If you can get this system to work and work elegantly and to the point where we don't notice a difference... That's yeah, awesome. and if I can get my Honda Accord to travel into the future, that's that's a unique challenge too. That doesn't it mean that, that doesn't mean I'm going to waste my time doing it or t- attempting to do Maybe it. Maybe someone smarter than you is making a <laughs> an Accord time machine. <laughs> I'm saying I, just, I don't. I guess I don't understand your point. Like, what I'm saying is is the I don't think that the issues they're experiencing is a reason not to do it. It's not. It's not a reason to say this model of cloud and controlling and ownership and even even the proprietary nature of it is a bad thing. It's just it presents a lot of challenges for them to overcome. For Salesforce to overcome? Yeah. For anyone implementing a, this type of platform. Yeah. I'd, now, what you're arguing, I think a lot of it you're arguing against is the marketing and the positioning. And, and but, but I, I, you have to take that with a grain of salt because everyone anywhere in the world who's trying to sell you something is, of course, going to make their product sound like the best thing ever. That it can cure your cancer and make your coffee at the same time. Yeah, I, I just like I said, I don't know of anyone that's. I, I can't think. I don't. There's no one that really seems like they're doing it like Salesforce is doing this, which makes it a very difficult and challenging thing, and which they've had success in doing. 
in convincing people that it's something that it's not? What have they had success in? Well, they have an entirely cloud-based application that you can program. It's all in the cloud. I mean, I could create a, I could throw up a cloud-based system that you can technically program in tomorrow. I, I, that's, I'm saying, what have they had success in? Like, they've had success in selling that. I, exactly. I don't know what, I don't know what to right. tell you. Well, I, I still don't understand your argument. I don't, I don't understand your point. I was trying to make your point. Which is what? What do you think it is? Well, not make your point. I was trying to counter your point. I, I think you're saying that, 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 that what they're offering is, is something they shouldn't be offering. That they shouldn't be offering this proprietary system. That they shouldn't be offering this cloud platform because it's got all these issues. I'm not saying they shouldn't be offering it. I'm just saying that they are telling the people they're selling this to, hey, we are giving this platform that does X, Y, and C. And the truth is, it really does A, B, and C. I don't think it's that kind of bait and switch. I mean, yeah, their 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 marketing is. I don't want to say dishonest, but it's it's self congratulatory. I don't know what else to say. I mean, they're they're hyping it. I mean, technically, they're not lying. Technically, you could you could build this. It may not work right. It may be slow. It may you may have to tack on other services and systems to get it to work. But technically, you could do it. Yeah. I mean, you can't. You still to this day can't build couldn't build Salesforce on Salesforce. I mean, of course, of course, that's just you could. A, that's a ridiculous. No, you couldn't. You could not. Why? Because you just couldn't. You need all access to all sorts of things that that you don't have access to on Salesforce. Well, what's your what's your definition of Salesforce? Then isn't it a system where you can add a field and create and insert and imp- output data? Well, no. There's a lot more to it than that. Look. Okay. You're, let so me you're, ask you're, this. you're look, encompassing all look the entirety Salesforce of is, Salesforce's. Why is Salesforce not built on Salesforce then? Because then Salesforce wouldn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, th- I think that's a tongue-in-cheek marketing statement that says, ah, you, you could technically do. You could build a system that, that you could point and click and have it create a field in the yeah. back end with the metadata and all that kind of stuff. You technically could. It's not recommended that you would and you get feature parity or anything like that. It's just yeah. a tongue-in-cheek comment. Yeah, I guess so. It just, it's all, you add it all together. The messaging, the stuff at Dreamforce, the stuff the CEO says, all the stuff. It's, it's all crazy land. But we all know that. No, everyone, no, no. That's where you're wrong. That's where you're wrong. I think we, we don't do. all know that. No. I, John, every day I have to have conversations with people about this. I, I have, maybe my clients and circle of people are, are a little more grounded in reality because I can't tell you how many times I went and had a beer with somebody or, or talked to someone on the phone who said, what's the real story? What can that, I really right. do? No, I, I get that too. People come to me and they're like, okay, what's... Or right. that keynote was just BS. There's right. no, no substance, nothing there. It was, you know, or they have real problems and they're going to people and they're not getting them answered. Yeah. I mean, the people know. I think, it's, I think part of it is I've been, I have been exposed to new cu- Salesforce customers recently and they're not used to this. They don't, they don't realize the gulf between the message and the reality. Yeah. Well, so, it, so it, it is an with- interesting ecosystem, isn't it? Because there are, there are those who are fans of the platform, who are successful on it, who have a fair amount of knowledge and just their career built around it. And then there are those who are trying to be enablers and help people be successful on the platform. But then you have those that are treating the platform almost as if it's the next messiah. You know, yeah. it's, it's the best thing ever. It can do no wrong. You know, if you say anything bad about Salesforce, you're you're the devil. <laughs> I'm being dramatic yeah. here, but you know, th- there there is that that certain part of the community where it's it's 
it's almost too much to take. You know, it's it's hard to weed past that hype to get to what it really can do, what its value really is, which is important because it isn't to say that if Salesforce doesn't do everything in the world, that it's a bad platform. It just means that we have to get down to what it really can do so that we can supplement what it can't with, with an equally good solution. And that's what, that's what clients are looking for. But for some reason, it gets lost in this, this thing where Salesforce has to be on top. It has to do everything. It has to be the best at everything in the world. It has to be this platform that you can do anything with. But, it, but the reality is it doesn't have to. We just need to know what it can and can't do so that we can effectively implement it. Yeah. There's just so much. I remember that. How long ago was it? At least a couple of years ago when Mark Benioff started talking about how he just runs his business from his cell phone, right? And there's still things like today, like in, in Salesforce One, you go to an, an object in Salesforce One and you look at your, your list views, right? Do you know that if you, any list view that you haven't already accessed via the desktop Salesforce application is not visible on Salesforce One? Huh? Uh, the reason I discovered this is because I go to an object in Salesforce One and there's no list views available. And I'm like, well, what's going on here? And I searched and, and discovered that, yeah, you have to have at least accessed them and the those list views in the sales and the desktop app that puts it in some kind of cache, which then makes it available on Salesforce One. I'm just so many, is that a feature? Or is that a bug? It I don't know I don't know what to call it, but that seems but, odd because that would mean they would have to tr- if it's intentional they have to track what you viewed and, oh, well, and effectively filter those out yeah. for the mobile. Yes. Well, they don't. I don't think they filter them out. I just think that they, I think it's the opposite. Like it doesn't get included unless you've. Like there's some caching system that keeps track of what you've recently for performance and then serves that up? I guess so. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, so I, you I can't do not, run I do it on your rec- phone unless not, you've at yeah. least logged into your desktop then. <laughs> I do not recommend you try running your business from Salesforce One only. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think once you reach to Benioff levels where you just need to make sure that the sales trend line is moving up and not down, maybe, you know. Yeah. Or you have an assistant who can come and, you know, make sure your day is managed and all those kind of things. I think the rest of us in the real world have to work a little bit harder. Yep. But yeah, today is just one of those days where it's like, wow, there's just between the bugs and the limitations and the basically unavailability. I mean, development, the develop the tooling and the metadata APIs, for all intents and purposes, if you're on CS16 or CS24 today, and possibly others, those are just the ones I know for sure. CS2. Are just basically down. And trust says, everything's just fine. Oh, yeah. And again, my team is spread all over this, that I'm working on here is all over the country. So it's not like it's just my internet's bad or something. You know, so I just want to put that out there as well, because that'd, that'd be the, that'd be the next person that someone would say, well, it's your, your internet's probably no good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that. I wish that would. That'd be an easy fix. But... Yeah, so um, Oracle feeling pressure to buy someone, supposedly. Salesforce. I think at this point, it was, by the way, I don't want to talk about this, but Salesforce's stock is, well, a couple of days ago, like all, all time high. I think they actually surpassed their existing 52 week high. Yeah, was that a tweet you made or something? I remember seeing something. I thought you were the one that made it that said something about someone knows something. Like <laughs> yeah. the, the Salesforce stock is up, someone knows yeah. something. Well, you know, they're like 91% institutionally owned, which is incredibly high. It's basically controlled by a few bankers mm-hmm. who I'm sure aren't working together at all. <laughs> sure, they're poor bankers just trying to catch a break, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Um, 
but yeah, they've actually, they've come off their highs now. So I don't, yeah, it's probably just some profit taking going on. <laughs> so but, cynical. but no, I was going to say this because their stock's up, you know, their, their, their valuation is now up to, I think it's around a 50 billion, which is again, kind of, kind of an all time high. That's kind of what it's been. I mean, that's what Microsoft well, offered. It, but it had been back down to like in the low 40s. Yeah. And it'll but, fluctuate between that. Right. But it's, it's certainly not 75, which is what Benioff values it Well, at. my point is, is like you don't want to go approach a company to buy them when their stock is at all-time highs. Right. It's, it's, it's going to be expensive. I mean, if they, if they weren't willing it, to sell at $70 billion before, they probably wouldn't want to be willing to, you know, to sell for under 80 or $90 billion now. Right? Because that's... If they... Th- and this is the thing. If Salesforce thinks that it can, that stock, I'll, let me say this, because you have to separate the stock from the actual company. The stock can keep performing and the way it's been performing, then it's, it's not inconceivable to think that a, a year from now, they could be at a $90 billion, like 80, or certainly 70 or $80 billion valuation. So why would you sell at that now? You'd, you'd have to offer such a premium. And like I said, you know, when supposedly Microsoft offered, what was it, 70 billion? I thought they offered 50. Oh, they had to offer more than that. No, I think they offered. 50. Well, Salesforce uh, supposedly that Salesforce said, yeah, it had to be at least seventy billion. Yeah. So, and I, I think that number has probably gone up, unless and until Salesforce management starts saying, "Yeah, we're not going to be able to keep this up." Right. We've been pushing these deferred and all these different numbers around, trying, you know. But you can only do that. You can do that for a while. But at some point, the numbers start to catch up with you, and if you're not actually generating positive operational cash flow, which which they are, but um, they're still also spending a lot of stock on compensation and things like that, which lowers the, lowers the value and dilutes everyone. So you have to, have to take that into account. But Yeah, but I mean, that, can't that's keep assuming these numbers. That, I mean, that's assuming that their end game is to sell, and I don't think that's their end game. I don't, well, I, yeah, I don't know what, the, I mean, I mean, their end game is to do, it's supposed to be, is to do right by their shareholders. Oh, sorry, their stakeholders. Do right by their stakeholders. Yeah. Um, Passes to <laughs> twenty billion. Is that what it is now, or ten billion? I, yeah, I think I think that number's gone up. It's it is absolutely this, my dream, and I'm dedicated to being the fastest to ten billion. I think I think it's I, heard, I think I heard twenty the other day. They, they're going to keep up in that. <laughs> well, it's good to have goals. That's true. Stretch goals. That's right. But yeah, if they if they if they th- start seeing more more friction in achieving those goals, then that's when they're going to be more willing to sell. By the way, they're new. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't think Salesforce is the type to say, it's getting hard, let's bail. I mean, I really, no, 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 I really no, think... It's not, it's not bailing, John. You're, you're thinking about this wrong. When, when a company, when a board of directors can make more money for its shareholders, shareholders, easy for me to say, by selling, then that's the right thing to do. If they get, if they get an offer, that's the right thing to do for the shareholders, they have to sell. That, and that's that's why you, sometimes these hostile situations where they get an offer, the board of directors don't want it, but the stock, the stockholders you know, are revolting. They're like putting pressure that basically force a sale. Like, hey, this is right for us. You got to do this. Yeah, I, that that's possible, but I don't I don't think that's I don't think that's a decision that Mark Benioff would make. I think he would choose to keep it, and he would have to get overruled. He might. It depends on what he thinks. I mean, if he knows, for example, and I'm not, you know. I don't think this is what is happening. But if he knew, for example, that like Salesforce was going to have a bad quarter and it may be a maybe a bad year, and that they just uh, they're facing all kinds of competitive headwinds, or there's some com- competitor that's you know, or, or whatever they've they've saturated CRM and this people who are willing to do 
cloud computing, you know, at the level they're doing it at or whatever, um, it might make sense. Hey, let's let's sell while our shares are still trading at you know seventy eight dollars versus when they're selling at fifty dollars. You want to sell when your stock is high. And the other thing that's weird is you know Mark still is just selling a ton of stock, and you generally don't sell a ton of stock if you think that stock price is going up. Now he's been on, you know, he's got a registered selling plan with the SEC, so that's nothing. But I did notice they've got a, you know, so the CFO that replaced. You remember the guy that like quit and came back and quit and came back like five times, <laughs> their CFO, and and every time he did, he kept getting like more consulting. Oh, I needed more consulting fees or whatever that was. But anyway, he's he's gone. But I think it's the guy that replaced him. I don't know his name. Like I don't want to say first day, but like almost immediately sold like seventy percent of the stock that he was granted as becoming an employee. Hmm. Right off the bat. It's a nice sign-on bonus. Well, it's it's a it's a weird. I mean, it's not because it, it's not really, you know, a cash signing bonus is one thing, but when you get, you know, just a bunch of stock up front, you know, you usually don't go and sell all that. Like the idea is like, and it, and it's weird because it's usually not vested. So I don't know how you went and sold that stock. Is was it all immediately That's vested? True, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of weird. Uh, but. Unless they gave it to him with that intent. Like we can't give you a bon- sign-on bonus, but we'll give you some stock and you do. Well, what we you know want. we know Salesforce loves taking their shareholder stock. That's what they do, right? That's why they get. Hey, that's why they all all they can talk about is non-GAAP, because they take they dilute their shareholders so much. Hey, we don't, we, you know, we really don't have the cash to give you, but we will take some of our shareholders' <laughs> stock from them and dilute them, so you can go sell this. But yeah, it's like seventy percent. That's just unusual. I actually, I, th- there was a news article that was written about that. That's the only reason I knew it. I was like, oh, that is kind of weird, because usually they, you know, you might sell a little bit, but you generally want to hang on to it because you just joined this company because you think it's that company's going somewhere. And there's a big upside to that. So if you don't, don't think there's a big upside to the stock, then you probably wouldn't have joined the company. No, I don't. I don't see any sign of them selling anytime sooner. Even no, no, I don't, I don't. Well, I mean, they have, they're building the tower and they're taking over some office space, and that, none of that would stop, right? Uh, not, who, who are they taking over? They're from someone. They've made a lot of. Uh, I mean, they've been expanding. They've, yeah, they just. I think they signed a big deal in in that uh, out of Seattle or uh, yeah Bellevue. Yeah. Um, they 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 still have a bunch of. They still have a bunch of land that they bought, like 14 acres, when they were going to... Do you remember the giant, like, giant real estate thing that yeah. was a huge debacle? Yeah. I think they still are selling that off. So, they're selling that. But, the, yeah, they're building the tower and they're... I mean, they're still expanding expanding, and build, building all these. And I, that wouldn't change. But I'm just saying if, if Oracle or whoever came to them with the right offer, I, well, I think they'd take it. Yeah, I mean, I guess you throw stupid money at anybody, they'll take it. Right. And, and, and well, and, right. And if you can immediately, if you can, okay, so let's say you own $50,000 worth of share, Salesforce stock. And as a result of, as a result of Oracle buying Salesforce, you would get $80,000 in cash for that $50,000 in stock. Of course you take it. Yeah. No, I'm not greedy. I want to <laughs> exactly, <I wanna> yeah. <laughs> build a, a, a company that's socially responsible. Well, unless you thought that within two years, that stock would be worth, you know, 300000 right? Maybe I'm not in for the money. Maybe I'm, but, maybe I'm a <laughs> wealthy in my own right, and I, I, I just want to build a great company. Yeah, well, that happens. It's just, you know, on a company of that, of that scale and size, it's, it's not, usually that's not what people are, are in it at that point. Except for like the founder. A lot of times, you know, the founders are... They still have like a sentimental attachment. You know, they, they're doing their thing. But yeah. This has been one hell of a rambling episode. I needed to vent. Zero, ag- I, I, zero agenda. <laughs> I, I, needed to, I needed to vent, so I got some of that out. Um, George Who, I guess that's how you say it, who is who? Sales, 
Yeah. Who? <laughs> Salesforce's COO or was he's on a sub, like he's on a sabbatical and they were like, Hey, you need to come back. He's like, no, I'm not going to come back. And but I still want to, <laughs> I, I don't know, but he's, um, when can I go on a sabbatical? The man? rumor is he's launching a, an HR startup that will, you know, be launched by end of year. So a workday competitor? I guess so. I think I also saw that Salesforce is, was involved in another HR thing. I mean, they, they want these verticals. They want to get in them. You know, that's, and that's, that's one thing that sucks about when you're playing in someone else's sandbox. Like, look at these companies that but are... Salesforce has a great track record of, of sending people off to kind of build their own thing, saying, hey, we'll give you a little investment capital if you want to go try to tackle this well, HR that's, thing. That's different. And then we'll buy you up. But we'll now, gobble you up when, now, when you're successful. Yeah, but that's that's kind of different. Now Salesforce is saying, hey, we're going to build our own wealth management product. Well, what about all these other people that have built their wealth management products on Salesforce? There's there's half a dozen of them that are really good. If there's a market and there's interest for it. That's yeah, just, I mean, it's just getting squashed. I mean, this, you know, we've seen this happen. You see this happen all throughout, you know, history. But the thing about, and CRM is probably a good fit. But the thing about um, things like wealth management and those type of industries, there's, there's not really a formula to them. Every company has their own proprietary thing that they do, and that's what that's what they sell. Is this is we have our our golden key process for managing your wealth and and making you successful. You know, reaching all your goals. Yeah. So it's not, it's not like this software tool you can build that says, you know, here's all the boxes you need checked. Do you remember that product that we worked on? That was that Flex thing. Flex. We built it on Flex. Oh yes, that was one of those. Like, yeah, had, that was that's exactly one of those. Now, now their their secret sauce was their. It wasn't the software we were building, but that was a part of the the selling the solution. Right, was this software yeah. that that accommodated this secret formula? Well, well, here's here's the thing about wealth management is, <laughs> they're they, typically they're not selling to me as the individual. They're selling to the brokers that are managing those accounts and giving oh, them sure. the tooling they need to yeah. help manage their customers. So it's it's almost like you're third removed from the actual customer when you're talking but that kind of I thing. Don't, I don't think there's any... I've, I've heard these guys talk to these wealth managers when they think no one's around. I, I don't think... I don't, most of them do not have any kind of secret sauce whatsoever. They're just... Everyone's got a process, man. They, they get, that's their secret sauce. Again, I think those guys are just selling. There's... Oh man, yeah. they're selling themselves. They're selling. Me, yeah, they are. They're selling they're themselves and yeah. what they can do. It's, right. it's when I say process, I don't mean like there's some like global process. What I mean is like that that broker, that broker who whoever's managing these accounts, that they have their secret sauce. Yeah, they have their way of managing it. Right. So but it's I mean, not like it's not like a global. At least from my experience, from what I've been seeing, is it's not like there's this one thing that you can do. That makes everyone happy. Yeah. So it becomes kind of managing things at a more basic level, managing, you know, activity, managing clients and all those kind of things, which I think Salesforce could do. Well, because, yeah, because a lot of this wealth management, I mean, a big function of the wealth management solutions that I've seen, I mean, half of it is basically just CRM. The other half is like, you know, being able to manage custodian accounts and asset types and, yeah. you know, all that stuff. And it's, I think it's a fairly generic problem to solve, but it's interesting that Salesforce is like, yeah, we're just going to, even though we have, even though there's, you know, all these solutions that people are offering on our platform in this space, we're gonna we're gonna go do our own now and just squash all these guys. Yeah, it's it's always a it's it's always a risk when you develop a solution on Salesforce. It, it, they may eventually develop an opinion, whether develop something their own or acquire yep. your competitor. Right. 
Yeah, when you're playing in someone else's ecosystem, that, I mean, Microsoft. But, I mean, know, it's, like, it's everybody. Everybody it's does software. It. No software product makes everyone happy. I mean, it's not like there's not room for competition. Just because Salesforce has a wealth management tool doesn't mean it's it's the one you want to use. Yeah. I mean, there's there's others that you may want to use, and they have an integration with Salesforce. I mean, it's maybe there's another one out there that tailors specifically to what you the type of thing that you do. Yeah, you know, it, it's. It's it's not like them getting into it is is end game for that industry or no. end game for anyone developing software in that industry. And I think the ones that do have a niche will will probably the Salesforce solution will will not uh, will not be sufficient, right? For right. for the people that are that relied on that. Yeah, but still is interesting. It's still interesting. It's just interesting to see them get into verticals because that just says something about the. About Salesforce, but it's not a start. Doing. They've been they've been trying to do verticals for forever. Uh, well, like Salesforce Labs projects. Come on, I'm this is saying. different. This is totally different. The and le- if, if it would only be different if they're willing to modify parts of their application and parts of their API for a specific industry or vertical. And what's then different? What's different, different is this is going to this. I think this is a native, a native software application native to Salesforce that. But the, for years, the, the, they've had committees with the, everyone there are like teams, in education there are and teams healthcare. teams and departments dedicated to running yes, this that have, the, that have VPs and on down, right? And entire engineering teams dedicated to a certain solution. This isn't, this isn't, this isn't new. To the, to I'm, this, sure, to I'm this. sure they're tackling it in a new way, but it's not a new, it's not a new venture for them. They've always wanted to try to tailor things to an industry to make it more attractive. But they've always left that up to the, the ecosystem. Uh, no, I mean, they've, they've internally tried to create these committees of people. So they'll go out and get, you know, all the top wealth managers that, that they can get and, or all the top educators that they can get or all the top healthcare people they can get and make this committee where they're all kind of contributing and talking about how the platform could, could be used to help them. Yeah. But like you said, it's, it's these lab projects. It's these managed packages of pre-built configuration for that industry. Or usually unmanaged packages. Or unmanaged, yeah, <laughs> usually unmanaged. So it, it's, it's not like, here's Salesforce Healthcare, and you log in, and it's all very specific to healthcare, and there's tooling built into the actual infrastructure to help manage that type of industry. Yeah. Um, so and, and unless they're doing that, it's, it's no different. It's, it's just a new, a reinvigorated approach. Uh, you know, and I just think they're putting... Like a hundred times more muscle behind it, and they might be because that's probably where before they were just going to get their growth. Right, that's what I'm saying. I don't think they planned on. I don't think. I don't think before they thought this was something that let's go do something and put a lot of investment to it that can materially affect our business. They weren't doing that before. Now they are. Yeah, I mean, it's it's part of the strategic direction of Salesforce now, and I think that's what's that's the. the I've I've always thought their growth is going to come from acquisitions, and that still might be true. But this could be. Another one of their strategies for growth is, you know, we're going to, we're going to put some money behind this and see if we can make this happen. Yeah. It's been both. I mean, cause look at, um, you know, exact target. That was a huge, and not to mention all the other smaller acquisitions. They have grown a lot through acquisition, but, um, yeah, this is interesting. The vertical thing. So what, what verticals? I mean, you've heard, we've, we've got healthcare, healthcare and wealth management, wealth management. That's the um, I... Allison had mentioned seeing some education stuff, some higher ed stuff. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. She had mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I haven't seen anything from Salesforce about it. Yeah, no, it. nothing announced, but I mean, yeah. we know those are, I mean, how, how thin are they going to spread themselves? I mean, are they going to, I mean, I mean have, I healthcare know. and education seems like a big enough 
thing to tackle. Healthcare, yeah, they've got, especially because they have enough, there's a lot of money in healthcare. Not that there's all the money in education, but it, you know, certain private institutions, I think, have a lot of money, but otherwise it can get fairly thin. If they got a great football team. That's true. Right. Salesforce needs to add a TV manual component to to Salesforce and they'll, they'll get those guys on. Yep. Gambling. I think we'll ever see a gambling vertical from Salesforce. (laughs) (laughs) How would you have that work? Like for managing your, your casino or if you're, if you're a gambler to manage your, your gambling habit. <laughs> Both. <laughs> I think they have that actually. Do they? I think, yeah, there's a there's software that you can basically manage your gambling on. Gambling is just such a huge thing. Well, I mean, thing. like what if you're a bookie or something and you need yeah, exactly, <laughs> to yeah. keep track of who owes you money? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, send out a trigger alert to go kneecap somewhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd like to work on that project. I don't know. <laughs> You have no morals, sir. No, I, I, I do. I just, <laughs> I just think it'd be funny to write a trigger that says initiate kneecap. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what, what else is a crazy, crazy, crazy vertical that would just be off the wall? Gambling is one. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things they could go into, you know, insurance management and transportation logistics. No, that's that's all basic business stuff. I'm talking about like crazy off the wall stuff. Oh, I don't like know. Circus, like a circus cloud, <laughs> managing your circus. No, so that's for like Salesforce is already a circus. Manage all your trapeze artists and your <laughs> animals and your smoke and mirrors. Yeah, <laughs> magicians. Yeah, a magician can manage his his uh his magic show. You're right. Has all his tricks in there because <laughs> it's safe in the cloud. Yeah, it's not on paper, so I right. can steal that. Oh man, I'm losing I'm losing steam. Well, and to that I say good day, sir. At 4.29 p.m. on Wednesday, October 21st, 2015. Hey Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough road to get up to 88. Roads? Well, we're going, we don't need roads. You lose! You get nothing! Good day, sir!